Well, you know, the the church has literally gone to war in the past over its beliefs. You guys have probably heard of the Reformation War. Uh, the Reformation War, it was from 1517 to 1648. And we have no clue exactly how many lives were lost or exactly how bad it was. But it was such a long war over Europe. One of the, one of the things that we can look at is just in like one of the battles alone, Europe, Germany lost a third of its population in just one of the battles uh, alone. It's pretty crazy and pretty devastating to think that the the church would go to war with the church all over Europe and that it would be such a devastating thing. And, And although beliefs are very, very important, don't get me wrong, beliefs are important. However, when we open up our Bibles and we look at the New Testament, when you look at the authors of the New Testament and look at the words and life of Jesus, you see that the the beliefs or the commands of Jesus, I mean, number one, they're simple, but then also they're they're very memorable. And the other thing is, is they're very, very actionable. I mean, Jesus, when he, he steps on the scene, he basically comes to them and says, hey, I am the son of God. If you, if you want to know what God is like, well, then look no further. You can look at me. And he, and he says to him, he goes, here's the thing I want you to understand. In order to get to the father, you are going to have to go through me. And he looks at Peter and it makes it as simple as possible. And he says, Peter, it's on this simple belief that I am the son of God, that I am God in human form, that I'm going to build a movement on top of you. And here's the thing I want you to actually do, Peter. What I want you to do is I want you to live this out in the context of your life. And I want you to love one another another. But here's the thing. I want you to love one another in the way that I have loved you. That was the action step that they were to take. And it was this simple actionable step that they would be remembered for. I mean, John was there. He remembers when Jesus said it, Jesus said, by this, everyone will know you are my disciples. If you love one another. This is the thing. This is the litmus test. This is the measuring stick. Everyone will know you are with me, that you are like me. You are a Christian by how you love. And so here's the thing. When it comes to Christianity or being a follower of Jesus, if we had, if we were in an elevator with somebody and we had 10 seconds and they're like, hey, could you explain this, this Christianity thing to me like really, really quick? We'd say, sure, no problem. Let me tell you just real quick in one sentence what it is. It's recognizing who Jesus is and choosing to love others the way that Jesus first loved us. Recognizing who Jesus is and choosing to love others the way Jesus first loved us. That's Christianity in a nutshell. That's what following Jesus looks like. And a lot lot of people in church, they sometimes debate about, well, is that enough? You know, I mean, just how much grace are we supposed to have? Can you really change the world with grace? I mean, what about this problem in the world? What about this? Don't we need to hammer people with our beliefs and convince the world to believe what we believe? But here's the thing. Just based on this simple principle. Remember, there was no Bible for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Before there was ever a Bible, there was a church where all they had were the teachings of Jesus and a few letters circulating around of Jesus' life. And they recognized who Jesus was, that he was their king, that he was the son of God. That he was God in human form on earth. And that the thing that they were supposed to do above all else was love one another in the way that God and the way that Jesus had shown his love for 
them. And guess what? It was enough. It was enough. It was during a time of persecution where a government literally labeled Christians as terrorists and hunted them down and killed them publicly. And Christians didn't raise their fist one single time. And yet Christians outlasted that government, toppled that government. And then Christianity became the the, the state religion of that same government that tried to snuff them out. And it changed the world. It changed an entire Roman empire. And it seemed to be enough. I mean, can you imagine for just a minute, if we, if we took this seriously, imagine a world where people are curious of what we believe and are envious of how well we treat each other and amazed at how well we treat them. Imagine the impact that that can possibly have. Where the world might say, like, oh, I'm still on the fence about some things you believe. But man, I'm here anyway. Because I've seen how you treat one another. And I know how you've treated me. I mean, the thing you have to understand is that the first generation church, the first first Christians, they changed the world. But they changed the world by how they behaved, not what they believed. It wasn't their theology that changed the world. It was their behavior and it was how they treated one another. And John, he would talk about this. John, later in his life, he wrote the Gospel of John, which we've we've talked about and we've referred to many times, even in our past series that we just got done with on faith. But he also wrote another letter that you may not be familiar with called 1 John. And again, for context, this this was written at the end of John's life. He's probably 80 to 90 years old. All of the apostles and disciples have been martyred and killed in very public, terrible ways. They've been stoned to death. They've been put up on cross upside down. I mean, terrible stuff. Jerusalem has been burned to the ground. The temple is gone. And John sits down and he's trying to lead the way. He's trying to give guidance to the Christians, that the first generation church that's been around now for about 60 years. And he sits down and he pens these words and he says this. He says, for this is the message you heard from the beginning. The very beginning, he goes, guys, this isn't anything new. You know that this is the OG message. This is what Jesus talked about. And this is what we've talked about for the last 50 to 60 years. We've never wavered from this. This is the thing. This is the main thing. And this has to remain the thing. He says, for this message you heard from the beginning, we should love one another. He says, this is what it's all about, that we should love one another. And this is what he says next. He says, because we know that we have passed from death to life because he's saying, we know that we have confidence. We have confidence in our identity and who we are. And we have confidence in our eternity and where we're going. We can have confidence. What in the world, John, would you say would ever give us confidence Where we don't fear death, where we don't fear hell, where we can be confident and happy in who we are and find some security in our life. What in the world would ever give us that? He says, well, what gives you that? What you would have is because because we love one another. If you love one another, you will have that confidence. If you love one another, you would be confident in your eternity. You would have hope. You would have peace. Because how we love one another is the litmus test. How we love one another is the scale. How we love one another is the measuring stick. 
And he goes on, he says, because we know that we pass from death to life because we love one another. And he says, anyone who does not love, anyone that doesn't love remains in death. And he goes on and he wants to make it super, super practical for us. He's like, if you don't understand what I'm talking about, I'm going to make it really, really clear. Okay. He says, anyone, anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. Now, if we went around the room and I was like, hey, man, have you ever hated a brother or sister? Most of you would say, oh, no, no. I mean, like a a literal brother and sister? Yeah, all the time. But like, no, like a brother, like a brother, sister? No, I know I've never hated a brother or sister. I'm such a nice person. I'm such a loving person. But here's the thing. When we think of hate, we think of like, you know, like, oh, I'm angry at you. Or, you know, I point my finger at you. But that's not actually what he's saying. If we take the Greek of that word hate, all that word means is to be loveless or to be without love. So John is saying anyone who is without love for a brother or a sister, they, he labels them a murderer. I mean, that's, that's a bit harsh, right? I mean, you hear that and you're like, whoa, bro, I'm not, not a murderer. When John goes, well, yeah, I, I would label you a murderer. That's the equivalent of when you are without love for somebody, I would, I would say you're a murderer. And he goes on and, and he says this, and this is how we know what love is. He goes, if you want to know if you've been without love before, let me tell you what love is. And again, this isn't a, 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 your version of love. This isn't the world's version of love. This isn't a made-up version of love. And, this, and John says, this isn't up for debate. There's a certain brand of love that we as followers of Jesus follow. And he says this. We know what love is because Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. He said, the brand of love that we carry, it's a brand of love that has been modeled to us by Jesus Christ. And it's a brand of love where he came to lay down his life. I think what John would say is, is John would say this. We know what real love is, not because we believe something, but because something happened. John is saying, look, I'm not making this up. This isn't belief. This isn't in my head. This is something that I have experienced. I was with him. I was with him during those years and I was with him during his death. And I'm telling you that this isn't something that I just believe in my heart. This isn't something that was fed to me. This is something I have experienced. And he says, and it's true of you as well. The only reason you would ever do this is because it's something you experienced, not because it was something that you were told. And that's true for every single one of us. I mean, Jesus came and gave this experience. He literally loved the world and he loved these men and these women. And they passed on their experience to others. The reason they went out and they one anothered one another was because of their life intersecting with Jesus's life. And that has gone on for time and time and time over thousands of years to the, the only reason you're even here today isn't because of your beliefs. It's because of your experiences. Because you've experienced God's love through someone else. There's a reason someone invited you. Somebody was there for you. I mean, this entire church, the only reason that it even exists is because 11 years ago, eight people got together in a Troy, Troy meeting room at the firehouse on Cherry Street and said, you know what? We want to create a church where people can experience the love of God. We want to create a church environment where we go out into the community 
And we actually live this out. We live out our faith. Not to just create a place where people can come and believe things and say they believe things and recite things and sing about things and pray about things and talk about things. But a place where we can go out into the community and into the world and actually give out the love of God. See, what we believe is always attached to an experience that we've had. Something that's actually happened to us. And John goes on and he says this. He goes, this is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us. And he says, and we, you, me, anyone who calls himself Christian, we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, well, but, but, but who is my brother and sister? That's the question everybody always had for Jesus. Yeah, but, but who? Who is my neighbor? Who is my brother and sister? And John would probably give you the same explanation that Jesus gave when a Pharisee cornered Jesus and was like, yeah, but who, who is my neighbor that I'm supposed to love Jesus? You know, you're talking about like my Jewish neighbor. You're talking about like my neighbor I like. You're talking about like my physical brother or sister. Like exactly who are you talking about? And Jesus says, you know, he gave the illustration of the Good Samaritan. This story of this good Samaritan who helped somebody, two different races supporting one another, coming alongside of one another. And I'll just sum it up for you. I don't need to read it for you. You probably are aware of it. But Jesus and John would say this, your neighbor is anyone who has a need that you can meet. Anyone who has a need that you can meet, that is your neighbor. They may look differently than you. They may believe differently than you. Their economic background may be different than you. It doesn't matter. If you come into contact with somebody who has a need you can meet, he says, that's your neighbor. That's your brother. That's your sister. And John would say, we ought to love one another. And then he says this. He makes it so practical. He's like, and and if there's any debate about what this looks like, because I know all of us think, oh, lay down your life for one another. Well, I tell you what, if I ever get an opportunity to lay down my life for somebody, if I take a bullet for somebody, save somebody's life, you betcha, I'm there for him. I'll do it. And John goes, no, 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 come on. That's a little cop out. You know, that's very rare. That's probably not going to happen. He says, so let me explain it to you. Anyone who has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need. We all know what material possessions are, right? Means, resources, money. If any of you sees a brother and sister in need, and he says this, but has no pity on them. Now, if you don't know anything about the Bible, you know, the Bible, especially the New Testament, right? It was written in Greek. Okay. Old Testament, Hebrew, New Testament, Greek. These letters were written in Greek and they were written and transcribed and, and, you know, these documents were taken. And then, you know, over time they were translated, right? That's why there's all these different versions of these Bibles, right? A lot of times when we read stuff like this, you'll see that NIV, that's the new international version, right? So here's the thing as John wrote this letter and as they started to translate it out, what John actually says here is so vulgar and rated R. It's so, it's, 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 it's honestly, it's, it's a little disturbing. And, and so I think that John wrote this letter, wrote something very vulgar, very disturbing, very rated R. And then they started to translate it and like, we can't read that in church. You know, that's not good. We got to make that like PG 13. And so they made it like PG 13 and then they made it like Disney PG and then they made it like PG PG. You know what I mean? And it just kind of got, you know, kind of just watered down. And so I would hate for you to miss what John actually says here. And so I, I, I want to unpack the rated 
rated R version for you just a little bit. So let's just go, let's go a step back to the King James version, which, you know, for some of you who are older, we don't ever read King James, but this is basically, you know, like what you grew up with. So there should be like a blue light special. I should get like an award or something for reading King James today or something. But let's take it back to the King James. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, Shuts up his heart from them. That's a little bit clear, right? To shut up one's heart. But you know what? I, still, I just don't think that that's good enough. That's still a little Disney PG, okay? Let's get down. Let's go back to the very beginning. Let's look at the actual Greek. Let's look at the actual manuscript of what he said. If you don't know Greek, let me tell you what this says. Uh, this says, Kalise ta spagna atu at atu. I can't tell you for how many times in the mirror I practiced that this week, so I wouldn't mess it up, all right? But that word spagna right there, that means to shut up the bowels from him, of him from him, okay? Shuts up the bowels. I don't know if you know what that means or not, okay? Shuts up your bowels. I don't know if you've ever had your bowels shut up before, okay? But my, my dad was a pastor. He was a great visual illustration. He loved visual illustrations. So just in case you're not with me yet, okay? So it's like when something needs to come out and it can't. Angie, are you getting this? Okay? It's like something and you're bearing down, right? And you're like, mm, come on, Angie, give me your best bear down face. Mm, oh, that's good. Yeah. And it's just not coming out. You guys get the illustration yet? Okay? Just say amen and I'll stop. Okay? Okay. Thanks you. All right. Good. <laughs> The children are scarred over here, all right? The teenagers are like, this is not what we talk about at youth group, right? But the bowels are shut up. He says, if your bowels, if you see your brother in need and you suddenly get your bowels shut up, well, and then he says something else. But let, let me, there's a good news, okay? There's a new version of the Bible coming out. It's called the MSD, the Michael Scott Davis translation, all right? So let me give you the Michael Scott Davis translation of what John is actually trying to say. If you see a man or a woman in need and you get financially constipated, you are full of something, baby, but it ain't the love of God. You say you love God, but you are full of, and you just go ahead and insert your favorite family word right there, okay? I know there's a lot of different ones in the room, so we'll just leave that up for your interpretation, you know, of what you like to use. But here's the thing. John, let's go back to the NIV and put it all back together, because what John says is incredible. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother and sister in need and has no pity on them, on them if they are financially constipated all of a sudden... How can the love of God be in that person? How can somebody say that they love God and you come into contact with somebody in need and you go, ah, nope, can't today. Sorry, don't got it. Don't want to, not interested. Roll up the window, look the other way. He says, how can the love of God be in that person? Now, I don't know about you, but that's pretty harsh. I mean, that's, 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 a, that's a terrible visual. That's a little rated R. That's a little, ooh, that's a little bitey. That makes me kind of maybe feel a bit guilty at times of my response and what I've done. But here's the thing. Why, why such vulgar language from John? Why such a direct, pointed, finger-poking message from, again, not me. I'm not making this up. This is all John. Why would John say something like that? Because imagine for a minute, okay? Imagine for the, a minute you are John and you have this best friend and this best friend 
who says he's the son of God, you see that best friend taken, put through an unfair, unjust trial. He's beaten within an inch of his life. You and your friends don't support him. You abandon him. You act like you don't even know him. Then you see him take a cross, take it up a hill publicly on the streets. He's humiliated. He's spat at. He's made fun of. And then you watch your friend be hung on a cross where everything, all the pressure is being literally hung by nails in your hands. And then you watch him, them poke him. And he bleeds out publicly in a slow, painful death in front of everybody. Imagine for a minute, you watch your best friend and your God do that. And then, three days later, he's alive again. And you apologize thoroughly. And you're like, I am so sorry. I'm so sorry I doubted you. I'm so sorry I wasn't there for you. I, I, I can't imagine what you've been through, but oh my gosh, you, you've died for my sins. You've made a way for me to be righteous and to connect with God and to be forgiven. Please tell me, what is it that I can do for you? What, how can I ever repay you for this gift? And he looks at you, your friend looks at you in the eyes and goes, all I want you to do is love one another. That when you come across somebody in needs, you love them. And I'm not saying you just say you love them. I'm saying I want you to actually do for them what I've done for you. But you and I both know you'll never actually have to die for somebody. So what I'm saying is, is if you have the means to take care of somebody's needs when they're going through something, please do. Please take care of them. Please do all that you can. That's why John takes it so seriously. That's why John uses such vulgar language because quite honestly, he takes it really seriously. And he, I think if John were here, John would say, look, considering the price, the price Jesus paid for you, certainly you could say no to something materialistic in order to say yes to a person God loves. He's saying, look, all I'm asking is, is that I think every single one of us should do for others what's done for us. And all he's saying is do for others in light of what's been done for you already. I'm not asking you to go out of your way. I'm asking you to do what's already been done for you. What you've experienced. I want others to be able to experience. And so I want you to pay it forward. I want you to do for others. And then John, again, he's, he's all about the practicality. He gives his handlebars to this thing. He says this. He says, dear children. He says, look, guys, I know. I know this is tough. I know. But I know you want to figure this out. I know that you want to be genuine followers of Jesus. And you don't want to be hypocrites. And you don't want to fake this. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech. Which how good are so many of us at loving with words and speech, Right? When somebody's going through something or you see somebody in need, we say, hey, man, I'll pray for you. <laughs> I'm, I'm there for you, man. I'm, I, I'll be praying for you. I, uh, hopeful thoughts for you, right? I mean, many times that's what we offer people. But he, goes, he says, that's not enough. Don't just offer words and speech. He, he says this. He says, but come on. Let, let us love one another through actions and in truth. Let's do something about this. Let's not just wish them happy thoughts and, and say we're praying for them. Let's actually do something. 
And he says, and by doing something, by our faith being lived out in action and in truth, the same way that Jesus lived out grace and truth to us, he says, and this is how we know we belong to the truth. He says, this is the litmus test. This is the measuring stick. This is the scale. You say you love Jesus. You say you're a follower of Jesus. You say you have faith. Well, then it should be lived out by how you love one another. And it's how you love one another that you know whom you belong to. And then he says this. He goes, and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. He says, you want to know that you're at peace with God? You, you want to know that, that you and God, that you're, that you're righteous? He says, well, this is how we do that. See, the thing is, is that when it comes to being a follower of Jesus, when it comes to being a Christian... It's not about your beliefs. It's not about the prayer you've prayed, which if you're anything like me, you grew up in the context I did. I mean, I grew up in church. It was a prayer that you prayed over and over and over and over again at every camp, at every service, at every revival, at every big moment, right? But John says, look, that's not it. It's this. It's, it's the life you live and it's the love you do. I mean, it kind of makes you rethink so many of our, our church experiences in the past, right? Because we've been to those camps and we've been to those revivals. And instead of, I don't know, going to the altar, they probably should have pushed us out in the community and told us to go do something or to go serve somebody. Because that's what it is. It's the life we live and it's the love that we do. And here's the thing. While the church world is debating about their beliefs and about what we're supposed to do with this issue and that issue and all that stuff, all of that is debatable and we can fight about it on social media and we can fight about it in the church. But here's the thing. You know this. We may not always know exactly what to believe, but we always know what love requires of us. See, here's the beauty of this. You may have been a Christian for 10 minutes or you may have been a Christian for 10 years. And man, beliefs can be a tricky, tricky thing. And beliefs can kind of come and kind of go, kind of ebb and kind of flow. But there is not a person in the world, when you see somebody in need, it doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian or if you even are a Christian. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God in your conscience, you look at that situation and you know exactly what love requires of you. If you love someone, you know exactly what you're supposed to to do. So here's what we're going to do. Because I know in this room, there are plenty of people who are like me that want to change the world, that want to change the game, that want to change how church is done. And you look at this and you look at this kind of scripture and you look at that and you go, well, my, my goodness, what in the world am I supposed to do with that? And so what we are going to do for the next 30 days is we're going to do something brand new that we've never done before. And I hope this becomes an annual thing. I don't know how well it's going to go, but what I want to do is this. And it is called For Our City. And it's called For Our City because primarily the church is known for what it is against. Even I'm amazed if you, you know, there's a Facebook group page called We Love Troy. <laughs> and it's amazing when church gets brought up and people write some really churchy things on there. I mean, it just seems like the church and the churches in our communities are simply known for who they're against and what they're against. But I want our city and I want our communities to know that we are not against them. We are for them. 
And so what we are going to do is we're going to engage for the next 30 days in radical giving, serving, and loving in the name of God. We are going to give and we are going to serve and we are going to love. It takes me back to what Paul said to Timothy. Paul, he said something that echoed John's teachings to Timothy. He said, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And then he says this, he says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. Every single year in October, if you don't know this, October is Pastor Appreciation Month. Some of you know this, some of you don't. October is Pastor Appreciation Month, and it's mainly an American thing, okay? There's a lot of weird debate online, like all the time the Canadians are like, what are you guys doing over there? But anyway... October's Pastor Appreciation Month. And all over, there are pastors, uh, there, there are churches who are appreciating their pastors and all this stuff. And so usually what happens this time of year in our context is one of the leadership team members will come up here. They'll come to me and they're like, we need to make an announcement. And I'm like, okay. So here, here you got a mic. You get you got, got like two minutes, right? And so one of them will come up here. And they, they make my job so much harder than it actually is. And they get up here and they're like... Hi, everybody. I'm from the, I'm from the leadership team. Uh, uh, I don't know what to do with my hands. Anyway, uh, it's Pastor Appreciation Month here, uh, everywhere, not just here, everywhere. And uh, we love our pastors, uh, Pastor Mike, Pastor Carrie, the other one, uh, the other one. Anyways, we love our pastors and uh, we will be collecting donations so we can do something special for them. Uh, we will be sending them to a special place in an undesignated, unknown location. In any way, uh, I will be in the urinal uh, after service. If you just come find me and bring me money, I still don't know what to do with my hands. Uh, anyway, bye. And they get off and they freak out, right? And then, like, you have to hunt down this imaginary leadership team member and hand them cash. And it's all very weird. And then at the end of the month, they surprise us with a gift. Anyway, all right? So here's the truth. I mean, I... I, I I know, I know I make fun of that, you know, and that was my impression of Bo Burgess on stage. But the point is, is that we, we, we do appreciate that, right? But that's not why we do what we do and everything. And, and, and here's the truth. It always makes me cringe a little bit, okay? I'm a pastor's kid. I'm a pastor. I've been at this a long time. There's always been something about Pastor Appreciation Month that has bugged me, that makes me cringe. It makes my, my skin crawl because here we are. We're here gathering together to talk about God and to worship God. And then, you know, it's about me. And I I hate that. I don't like that. And so I went to the leadership team this year and I said, Hey, I don't want to do pastor appreciation. I'm done with it. I've talked to the staff about it. We're we're done. I want to kill it. And I'll be honest with you. They fought me. They fought me hard. I thought Miz was going to come unglued. I haven't seen him this upset since the Cowboys beat the Bengals. I mean, it was bad. It was, you know, and then they choked at the Super Bowl and everything that the Bengals have been through. I mean, I'm sure Miz is watching online. I mean, he's had a rough life, right? And so all of that was the equivalent of how he freaked out in leadership team meeting. All right. So just to give you a little visual, I hope Miz is watching online right now. So anyway, but 
But they fought me on this, okay? And so they're like, well, you better come up with something different to do, you know? And, like, we're, and they were trying to think of some things. And so there was one week I got sick, which I never get sick, right? But when I get sick, I take NyQuil. And I haven't ever done drugs. And so I see a lot of things when I do NyQuil. And so anyway, I uh, took some NyQuil. And I don't know if it was the NyQuil talking or it was God. But he gave me this idea for for our, for our city. And so here's what we're going to do for the next 30 days. For the next four weeks. We are going to have four non-for-profits that are absolutely killing it in our church. They're going to come and they're going to share with us everything that they have been doing and everything they want to do in the future. And the four non-for-profits are Shielded by Faith, which Shielded by Faith is a women's shelter about two blocks that way. It's a fantastic program. They take women in, uh, they, they, they sober them, they educate them, they help them start, uh, uh, get a job, get a career, they help them reconnect with their family. And it's a two-year program with great turnaround. And as these women graduate through this program, they are able to reboot and restart their life. And what they are doing is absolutely fantastic. The new director of Shielded by Faith is actually somebody who has gone through the program. They're coming. The key, the key is a youth homeless shelter about three blocks that way. They're on Cherry Street, and this is a youth homeless shelter that is completely funded by our community. The government or no outside organization has any hands on it. It is a completely community-funded project. And much of the leadership comes from the school district and, and different employees and counselors in the school district. They are going to be here. And then the Wright City Fire Corps. The Wright City Fire Corps, if you don't know what they do, they're a terrific organization that when there's a fire or a tragedy in the community... They come in and they've been known, they serve Warren County, but they also serve Lincoln County as well. They come in, provide meals, provide shelter, provide clothing. They do all kinds of stuff in the community when families go through different crises. And then there is the affordable Christmas shop, which is our baby. Something we've started years ago, and this is our way to empower families in a dignified way during the Christmas season. And we take care of the entire Lincoln County School District with our Troy Affordable Christmas Shop. But this year, we are going to up the amount of invites of our Troy Affordable Christmas Shop by 25%. But not only that, we are going to do our first Affordable Christmas Shop the very next weekend in Wright City. And here's the cool thing. The Wright City School District has never allowed an outside organization to ever do an event on their property or in their building. When I pitched it to them, several people told me, you will not be able to have the affordable Christmas shop at the school. I know you like to do it in the school, but there's no way you're going to be able to do it. It hasn't happened in the history of the school district. Toppled on, you know, history on top of that, there was another pastor in Wright City who has beef with me, who stepped forward and told this committee, hey, by the way, don't trust Mike Davis. He's the type of guy, if you give him an inch, he'll take a mile. This guy needs to be shut down. Thanks to that guy. Well, here's the thing. I just got an email this week and we have been approved. We will make history this year. And we will be the first outside organization to ever hold an event in the right city schools. Isn't that cool? So here's what's going to happen. 
Each of these non-for-profits are going to be with us. Each one is going to get a different week at our Wright City campus on Wednesdays and at our Troy campus here, both services on Sundays. And each week, they'll have an opportunity to come up here and talk a little bit about what they do. They're going to bring their residents. They're going to bring their executive boards. During the affordable Christmas shop, the counselors who have been partnered with me for many years are going to come here. And I'm going to get a chance to interview them for a minute. And then what we are going to do is we're going to take an offering. Now, I don't know if you've been here long enough. You know that we don't take an offering. We don't shake you down or anything. We leave it between you and God. And we have online giving in a drop box in, in, in the lobby. Because we want you to have a good experience. And it's not about money. It's not about what you can do for us. It's about what this can do for you. So we don't, we don't do an offering. But here's the thing. For the next 30 days, we are going to focus on radical generosity. We are going to take some, some Jesus elixir and we are going to unconstipate ourselves a little bit here. Okay. And so we're going to share these stories and then we're going to pass a, We're going to take an offering and look, we're going to do it in a very tasteful way. This was all the leadership team's idea because we don't want anyone to feel bad. And we know everybody's in a different place in life and a different season of life, especially in the economy we're in. So you can give online or when you walk in here, the, every, every single chair will have an envelope. What you do with that envelope is completely up to you. You could leave that envelope completely empty and blank and drop it in the basket and everyone next to you will think you participated with everybody else. You could put a dollar in there. You could put $10 in there. Somebody came up to me after nine o'clock service and said, hey, I won't be here next week, but here's a hundred dollar bill. Please put this in an envelope in, in my name next week. I said, absolutely, sir. Whatever it is, it's between you and God. But here's the thing. This is a huge opportunity for us. We're going to take this offering and here's what we're going to do. Everything above our operational expenses is going to go to these non-for-profits. Everything. We've calculated exactly what our, what our, our, our costs are because I honestly, I went to the leadership team and I said, Hey, I want to do this. And every week, everything that comes in the offering, I want to give away. And the leadership team says, we will not allow you to do that. Okay. We will not be able to pay the light bill. We will not be able to pay your staff. Okay. So we have to at least do our operational expenses, our utilities and our staff. I said, okay, I'll meet you there. All right. Which by the way, those who of you who give already at a regular basis, you're taking care of that. Plus, so here's the thing. Those of you who give, this is an opportunity to give more and everything you give is going to go to these non-for-profits. We're going to take it all. We're going to split it down the middle and we're going to give it to each of these non-for-profits. But here's the thing. For those of you who don't give, for those of you who are a bit financially constipated and you've been like, well, I, I love people with my time and I love people with like the smile, you know, I mean, I don't need to give a gift. I am the gift, okay? We love that. We love that you give yourself as the gift. But here's the thing. These are John's words, not mine. He says, if you see a brother or sister in need and you don't do anything about it, you're full of something, but it ain't the love of God. And let's be real, real honest with ourselves for just a minute. How many of us make sure that we're taken care of before we ever even think about taking care of anybody else? How many of us, we don't live within our means. We don't master our money. We are mastered by our money. This is a chance to fix that. This is a chance to change that. And here's the thing. Many times when we talk about this, you're like, oh, the church, the church always wants my money. The church is out. Well, here's the thing. I've gotten around that because the church ain't getting any of your money. You know, who's getting your money shielded by faith, 
the key. Wright City Fire Corps. And here's the thing. Here's what we are going to do. We're going to fund game changers for our partners and life changers for the people they serve. And you know what my goal is? I don't have an amount goal, although I know what you can do because you do it for me for pastor appreciation every year. I know what you're capable of. But here's the thing. I don't, I'm not asking for your gift. I'm not asking for you to send any of our staff on a little weekend getaway or anything like that. We're not making it about us. And we're laying that down so that we can all serve people better. We, the staff, are choosing to say no to that so that you can put your faith where your mouth is. And what our goal is for every single one of us is 100% participation every single week. Because as we've talked about in this series, this is not a matter, this is not about money. This is about your faith. This is about what you say you believe. You say you're a follower of Jesus. John says, great, that's the thing. But here's what it's always been about. And the church has gotten away from this. But this is what it's about. It's about loving one another. It's about when you see your brother and sister in need and you have something you can do about it. You have a resource. You have something you can do. You can say no to something. You can say no to your coffee or your something getting done or buying this. You can say no to that and you can help somebody in need. John says, that's what you should do. And so that, for at least 30 days, one month out of the year, We should all 100% practice. And it's not just for adults. Your kids, I hope you bring your kids every week. Because your kids are also, Pastor Kerry is thinking of creative ways for your kids to live this out as well. Your kids are going to write letters to veterans for Veterans Day. They're going to be doing all kinds of projects. They have a giving box downstairs. Look, it's not about money. It's not about an amount. It's about participation. And it's something every single one of us, from our kids to our teenagers to our young adults to everybody else, it's something every single one of us can do. And imagine for just a minute, imagine if anybody outside these these four walls in this community find out about this. Imagine if they hear that a church is bringing in, not not Christian, not religious, non-for-profits, but just great non-for-profits. And they're inviting them into their church to tell their story. And that church is taking their resources, they're taking their funding, and they're giving it away to the community. No strings attached. Do you think maybe, just maybe, it could make people curious about God? Can you think maybe just maybe somebody out there who's on the fence about God, they might hear that and go, wow, maybe just maybe there are some Christians in this city. There are some Christians in this community who actually live out what they say they believe. Maybe not every church is just a bunch of hypocrites who show up. And pray some prayers and sing some songs and listen to a 30 to 50 minute sermon and go home. Maybe, maybe, maybe it anchored hope. Some of them are the real deal. I know you're the real deal because I've seen you do it. I've watched you do it. And this is our time. We do not have to be like every other church. Every other church, they can do what they're doing. They can do pastor appreciation, but that's not who we are. We're game changers. We have always 
tried to perfect this thing and to do it the right way, to do it a way that God can be proud of and to be the real deal so we can actually be who we say we are, a light in a dark place. This is your chance to do that. This is your opportunity. And I know you're going to make me proud. Let me pray for you. Father God, as we come to you this morning, God, this is a huge challenge. God, that that scripture is very challenging. But God, I know that inside each of our hearts this morning, the whole reason we're even here is because we feel led to follow you. But God, as we talked about this morning, it's not about what we believe. It's not about our theology. It's not about the prayer that we say we've prayed. It's about living out our faith in the context and the reality of our life. So God, here's a great opportunity that you've given us to do that. Something that nobody else in our community is doing. God, will you help us to show our city that we are for them. We are not against them. God, will you help us to fund and support these non-for-profits, these game changers. Will you help us to be a light in the dark place? God, you are already breaking down walls. You are making things possible that people said were impossible because you are behind this, because you are for this, because this is what you have called us to do and who you have called us to be. So God, help us to step up to the challenge. Help us to step up to the plate. What can I give up this week? How could I live differently so I can love differently? God, that's my prayer for every single one of us. We know what love requires of us. Now help us to do it. In your name we pray. Amen.